Good afternoon, sirs. You are listening to The Dollop. This is a bi-weekly podcast. Hell is happening right now? In which I, Mr. Dave Anthony, read a story from American history to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is about. What's happening? Thank right you now. very much for listening. Excuse me? We'll be right back. What? God, do you want to look at a dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Gareth. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakey of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> cool girl. Yeah. 1963. Jesus Christ. Sorry. Wait. I'll be at NerdMelt this Saturday opening for Will Anderson, July 11th. I'll, I'm going to go to that and watch. Great. Now shout your fucking date. It's too, I already did it. July 11th, I'll be at NerdMelt. God. It's just not not good when you do it. When I do it, it's like... All right. Okay. There's something to it. Something special. Oh, Jesus. Florida Coroner. Robert... Florida Coroner? You heard me. Call him the Floriner. The Floriner... <laughs> Robert Hagen published an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association that called attention to the cases of nine Florida diners who collapsed and died while eating at restaurants. Oh, God. Wait, what? This is about nine people who died? Nine people died at restaurants. Total? Yeah. Okay. Not just at, like, Long John Silver's or something. (laughs) Because that is not a story. That's a lot more than nine. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's a Friday night at Long John's. (laughs) Their deaths were first attributed to natural causes, usually a heart attack. It wasn't until Hagen performed an autopsy that he discovered food lodged in each person's airway. Steak in four cases, beef in two, ham fat in one, kippered herring in one, and broiled lobster in another. Ham fat? Ham? Ham? Ham fat. Ham? One guy died from ham fat, which means... It was a big, like he took a big piece of bite like of just fat, fat from a ham and put it, like it enough di- fat from a, ha- from a ham. What year is this? To, this is 1963. Enough fat from a piece of ham to, to choke you, yeah. which is a lot of fucking ham yeah. fat. To be choking on fat, that's not really a life. That's also a shitty restaurant. Yeah. How do you want your ham fat? In huge chunks. <laughs> Thanks. Quote, the cause of death was determined to be asphyxiation. Hagen called this phenomenon the cafe coronary. Wait, so they all thought that... This is 1963. Yeah. How when someone is choking in a restaurant, are you like, their heart, when they're pointing at their throat, going like... (laughs) It's a different time. It's a different time. He's doing a seal impression because of his heart. It was a different time. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's I think a, gesturing was around in the 60s as much as it is today. Either way, a very clever coroner put the problem <laughs> yeah, no, together, so, yeah. and he realized that there was stuff in everybody's throat. They're joking. <laughs> he called it the cafe coronary and implored the medical community to recognize choking as a serious problem. What? I don't Wait. know. Wait. It is the 60s. They, I don't they didn't recognize choking as a thing? No. What happened when a guy drowned? What was that? He had an underwater heart attack. <laughs> of his lungs. 
this guy got shot, but he must have had a heart attack. Ah, uh, yeah, no, he had one of those exploding heart attacks with metal. <laughs> he died. Yeah, and there's some guy will bring it on. Medical researchers began working to come up with an anti-choking treatment that was better than the current treatment, which was... Yeah, ignoring! The, which was the backslap. The backslap. How you doing, Bernie? Way to go, okay. man! You ate the fuck out of that ham fat. One doctor invented the throat evac, which... After being inserted into the victim's mouth and creating an airtight seal, sucked up whatever was obstructing the airway. Okay. Can I predict the downside? What? That it would fuck your lungs up? I mean, I can't I can't see how it would be great to have put a vacuum over your face. Put a vacuum through? It's just not... Also hard to do. Yeah, and who's carrying and who, that around yeah, right, everywhere? Who's carrying it around? Hey, I'm telling you, I know it's been a thousand meals without incident, but that one, that one... <laughs> Uh, Hagen himself marketed a nine-inch pla- long plastic tweezers called the choke saver. Called the worst thing to put in a throat. <laughs> oh, he's throwing up. The public became fearful of choking. Radio stations were running public. <laughs> well, uh, amazing! They just—we <laughs> just discovered choking. Are you choking me? <laughs> That's insane. But they just found out about it. Now people are like, oh, shit, man. I don't want to be the next choking victim. Tiny pieces, no, every, tiny people have been choking for centuries. Tiny pieces. People have always choked. Nobody knew. How the fuck did you not know? I don't know. What the fuck? Jimi Hendrix died of choking on vomit like three years later. Yeah. Thank God they acknowledged that. Otherwise, they'd be like, Jimmy's heart threw up in his mouth. Uh, there were public service announcements about the threat posed by the cafe coronary. It became obvious that whoever invented a way to solve the choking problem would be a hero. I, I can solve it. What? Chew. Chew, you fat fucks. Chew. <laughs> Chew your fam fat. Henry Heimlich was all about fame. Whoa. He had experienced it in 1941 when, as a 21-year-old passenger on a New York City-bound train, he rescued a fellow traveler after the train derailed in Connecticut. He got a mention on the front page of the New York Times and a gold watch from the Greater New York Safety Council. (laughs) Okay. Heimlich went on to serve as a Navy doctor in World War II, during which he volunteered for prolonged extra-hazardous duty in the Gobi Desert. After, he returned to New York and specialized in thoracic surgery, a field that allowed him to hold a patient's beating heart in his hands. But he just wasn't feeling it. He needed more. Being I can't a, feel it. Is it's it beating? Not, I can't feel it. It's not. This is boring. Is it? Is anybody else bored? I was sitting on my hand. Is that the problem? Uh, uh, he needed more. Being a surgeon, he was limited to just helping one person at a time. He realized that he came up with a, if he came up with a new and revolutionary treatment or procedure... He could exponentially increase the number of lives he saved. But it's also about attention. A little bit. So he's a little bit like the L. Ron Hubbard of the esophagus. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. That's what I want to make sure. First, in the mid-50s, he introduced a surgery that made it possible for people with severe esophageal damage to swallow food. Okay. He called it the Heimlich operation. Okay, so he's just he's just trying to put a stink on everything, huh? <laughs> then he came up with the a... Heimlich lunchbox. Then he came up with a chest drain valve that could be used to treat a collapsed lung, which he named the Heimlich valve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so he's like Ronco. <laughs> In 1969, Heimlich moved to Cincinnati with his wife and four kids, where he became director... With his four kids, Heimlich, Heimie, Lick, <laughs> and Heimer. 
he became director of surgery at the city's Jewish hospital. He then turned his attention to choking. He set out to, to develop a treatment that was, as he put it, so simple anybody could do it. From his thoracic surgery experience, Heimlich knew that at the moment of choking, the lungs contained a substantial amount of air. He concluded using that air to expel whatever was lodged in the larynx was the best hope. In his hospital's animal lab, oh boy. he partially anesthetized a 38-pound beagle. Oh, God. Quote, the equivalent of having three or four good stiff drinks at dinner, he told his lab technician. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I'm sure it's easy to equate what it's like to drug a dog. Well, don't worry. It's just like having four drinks to the dog. It's like when he goes down to the Regal Beagle. <laughs> Next, he strangled the dog with an endotracheal tube. Oh, God. Then Heimlich attempted dis to dislodge the tube. At first, he tried pressing on the dog's chest, but nothing happened. With the beagle on the verge of death, he sadly removed the tube. Then, inspiration struck. I just got the idea that if I push up on the diaphragm, the diaphragm comes up, the chest cavity decreases in volume, and that would compress his lungs. Sure enough, when he did just that, the tube flew out. He tried the same technique on three other beagles, each time with the same result. Be these beagles were like, terrible, why? God, terrible why? Terrible beagle life. Ugh. Terrible beagle life. Ugh. Elated, he sent his lab tech down to the hospital commissary for some raw hamburger. That flew out of the beagles' mouths, too. Those beagles are like, stop. Can we eat the hamburger? Jesus Christ. It's over there again. I just almost had it down. So he proved how one could save a choking dog, but he still had, had not proven that it would work on people. Heimlich reached out to a medical journal that did not require articles to be peer-reviewed. <laughs> it's always a good sign, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a journal. <laughs> I am published in the shit journal. Yep. In the June 1974 issue, his article was published. It was called Pop Goes the Cafe Coronary. Heimlich got a copy of the journal to Arthur Snyder, the Chicago Daily News nationally syndicated science writer. Snyder wrote an article. Heimlich instructed would-be rescuers on how to perform the maneuver. He urged readers to report the results of their rescue attempts to him. So now the general public are basically the researchers and the subjects. Yeah. It's a giant Well, because he's lab. Not, there's not a product. He's released information. It's just a giant lab yeah. test. Yeah. <laughs> One week later, a man in Washington State used the new treatment to save his choking next-door neighbor. People are really choking a lot. <laughs> For people who just found out about it, it seems like an epidemic. They, there were no knives until 1972. Yeah, what the fuck? This is a big piece of meat I'm about to put in my mouth. I, and I mean, what was the mental adjustment from going like, well, none of those people died of heart attacks. <laughs> they all fucking choked. <laughs> News article helps prevent a choking death, reported the Seattle Times. That's a great title. It's really good. Yeah. Other Snyder readers across the country made similar rescues, leading to more headlines. But not everyone jumped on the Heimlich maneuver bandwagon. Based on the lack of hard scientific evidence, the American Red Cross would only endorse the Heimlich maneuver as a secondary technique to be used if back blows were unsuccessful. <laughs> In... Yeah. Back blows. Punching the All right, hit his tummy. Oh, that's a meatball. Oh, in, oh, call back. Yeah, call back. <laughs> in June 1976, the National Academy of Sciences Committee on Emergency Medical Services 
held a two-day conference on emergency airway management. It's a great conference. Yeah, I mean, fun. If you ever want to have a good time. Oh, gosh. Oh, the, the buzz. Fuck, the geez. buzz The buzz when you're finding your seat in that room. Oh, my God, oh the amazing. personality. It's amazing. Uh, oh, guys, the shit we're going to uh, do for airways. Uh, ah. Oh, man. Doesn't matter where you're sitting in that cafeteria. You're going right. to be sitting next to a winner. Yeah, that's right. And it'd be great if someone choked in there and they were like, he's having a heart attack. <laughs> All the bigs and emergency saving techniques were there. Heimlich gave an impassioned speech, bragging that more than 500 lives had been saved by the maneuver. After his speech, nine conference members gathered to try to reach an official consensus on choking treatments. For hours, they debated. Finally, just after midnight, they voted six to three in favor of elevating the Heimlich maneuver above the backslap. Tommy backslap was like, no, come on. I took so long. Ah, uh, how am I going to sell these t-shirts? Oh, my God, I overbought shirts. <laughs> and mugs. <laughs> and mugs. But the group's chairman, an anesthesiologist named Don Benson, still wasn't on board. The next morning, he told the conference that the group had been unable to obtain a universal opinion. Heimlich flipped out. He stormed out of the conference. He was convinced they were just all jealous because he was an unknown man in the field. So... Heimlich decided to bypass... Heimlich got in the game for the right reason. (laughs) Heimlich decided to bypass the medical establishment and to take his maneuver directly to the public. He sold Heimlich maneuver posters and t-shirts and made a slick film that featured choking actors being saved by his technique and a horror movie-like score composed by his son Peter, a musician who performed in a band called Choke. Oh, what? what uh, I mean, I don't even. Do we even want to get into how weird that is? I love you, Dad. I love you, Dad. We're a tribute band to my dad's technique. And he's like, call yourselves the Heimlichs. He's like, we're going with Choke. He's like, choke. no, fuck. But that's a, a boy who loves his dad. Yeah. Uh, but I love that time where, like, Reefer Matt, when you could just, like, make something scary as fuck in the public and be like, well, <laughs> shit. Although we still fall for that shit. But yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh, Heimlich took his maneuver on tour across the country and even appeared on The Tonight Show. He cracked suggestive jokes while Johnny Carson demonstrated the maneuver on Angie Dickinson. What? That's a a great doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, look at that. You're getting getting a little hard back there. Yeah. Yeah. You know you're a good doctor when you're sitting in to the Jane Goodall spot. He spoke to non-medical groups about the maneuver. He told stories of miraculous rescues and... His speeches often ended with him asking everyone in the audience to practice the maneuver on the person sitting next to him. What is going on? It's like a hula hoop. It really is. It's like taking everyone by storm. By the late 1970s, a booking agency ranked Heimlich as one of the top ten public speakers in the United States. Oh, God. So it's working. It is working. I mean, it worked. We already know it worked. Eventually, the Red Cross and the rest of the medical establishment realized it was fighting a losing battle. Even though Heimlich still lacked convincing laboratory studies, he had managed to create a set of facts in the public. Even though he didn't have scientific facts, he did shoot hamburger from a choking beagle four times. In in 1985, Surgeon General C. Everett Koop proclaimed the Heimlich maneuver the only method that should be used to treat choking victims. The American Heart Association, along with the Red Cross, recommended the maneuver as the primary anti-choking treatment. All right. How about that? There we go. The rise of the Heimlich. 
Heinlich had won and made himself a household name. Yeah, listen. I mean, yeah, he is. That's, he's on posters. But sounds like a bit of a psycho. Well, he had created enemies. I'm sure. Due to Heinlich's constant criticism of the Red Cross, enrollment in their oh, first boy. aid classes dropped. The Red Cross looked into suing him for slander. The National Academy of Sciences was also pissed. Heimlich had declared backslaps death blows and accused the organization of engaging in a cover-up of medical Watergate, he called it. Wow. (laughs) Medical Watergate. (laughs) He's a good winner. Yeah. He also pissed off individual doctors. He even tried to initiate ethics proceedings against one doctor who opposed the Heimlich maneuver. Jesus. In the end, Heimlich's maneuver proved to be correct, and it went to his head, particularly because he had butted heads with the medical community and been proven right, while becoming a hero in the eye of the public. Now he thought he was uniquely equipped to solve other, more pressing medical problems. He searched for even bigger life-saving ideas in the early 80s. In 1974, a surgeon named uh, Victor Esch claimed he had used the Heimlich to save the life of a man who had nearly drowned on a beach. More similar reports trickled in. So, in 1985, Heimlich argued that the maneuver should replace CPR at a joint American Heart Association Red Cross meeting in Dallas, Texas. Even the image of that is just, like, graphic, (laughs) arguably. Someone just, like, a limp body where you're like, hold them up so I can punch his stomach a bunch. (laughs) Trust me. I have a beagle. Once again, Heimlich had zero scientific studies to support his claim. And this time, he had even fewer anecdotal reports. <laughs> Drowning experts were worried that the Heimlich maneuver was dangerous since it could delay resuscitation efforts and was likely to induce vomiting, which can lead to aspiration pneumonia. But four members of the drowning panel agreed to add the maneuver to the drowning rescue protocols as a secondary treatment. This time, they were second-guessing themselves because Heimlich had won the previous fight over yeah. choking. Yeah, don't don't fucking bet against don't Heimlich. Don't fuck with Heimlich, man. Yeah. He'll go out on a goddamn tour. <laughs> Heimlich makes bumper stickers. Do what he says. <laughs> Quote, we were aware that there was controversy over the prior set of guidelines on choking, says Joe, Joe Ornato, the drowning panel's chairman. I didn't want anyone to potentially not have his life saved if it turned out Dr. Heimlich's idea was correct. So we were just- worried. We didn't want to look stupid. Well, we were operating from a place of fear. That's, that's what you want from doctors. Which is good when want, we're dealing with drowners. It's better when your doctor's scared. Yep. Uh, but that was not good enough for Heimlich. He kept pushing for the maneuver to replace CPR as a primary near-drowning treatment. Eventually, the Institute of Medicine, the nation's leading medical advisory group, agreed to give him a hearing. In 1993, Heimlich testified before a committee. Quote, Heimlich kind of impressed me as a guy who doesn't really know anything about research science, says Peter Rosen, who chaired the IOM committee. It was an old man telling tales. <laughs> Is that good? Oh, that's perfect. The IOM committee's report concluded that there was no good evidence to support the use of the Heimlich maneuver for drowning victims. So Heimlich was like, I'm taking this shit public. I thought he was going to move on to be like, well, if someone breaks their arm, that's how you fix it. Heimlich him. Heimlich. You want to get syphilis? Heimlich. Heimlich. Just as he had What, done. is he dead? Heimlich. Heimlich. 
Just as he had done during his fight over choking, Heimlich decided to go around the medical establishment. He went to a U.S. Life Saving Association seminar and urged lifeguards to ignore the American Heart Association guidelines. Oh, boy. Quote, I think the Nuremberg trials told the story that no one can be excused for saying I was ordered to do so or was taught to do so to kill people. What the fuck? This is the Heimlich man? (laughs) (laughs) He was just a raging psycho? Yeah, well, basically... Because when you hear about this, you think that this was just some guy who was like, oh boy, I don't know, call it the Heimlich maneuver, I guess... I'm just here to make people's lives easier. Instead, it's the total opposite. Yeah, the fucking lunatic. A fucking egomaniac who doesn't give a fuck if people die. Jeff Ellison Associates, the nation's largest private lifeguard company, which trains about thirty-five thousand lifeguards. Now, don't tell me annually, that they that don't tell me that they told people to listen to Heimlich. Or began something. teaching the Heimlich maneuver as a first response. Oh God, damn it! They continued to do so for the next five years until a reporter... Until everyone died. Until a reporter for the water park industry trade magazine, Fun World... Action Park News. Fun World. Fun World. I'm a reporter from Fun World. I'm not talking to Fun World. Last time you guys got me. You in fucking 60 minutes. (laughs) Now, how do you respond to these allegations? Sir, Fun World. Fun World's on the phone. No, they make you have a good time, they lull you, and then you admit your bullshit. It's not a fun world! And it's not a fun world! Fun World wrote a story documenting the questionable science behind Heimlich's crusade. Sorry, is anybody reading Fun World's publication <laughs> for any medical information? You know what I was reading in Fun World the other day about cancer? Oh, you read the cancer thing? That was pretty that was Holy, pretty amazing. Did you read the diabetes thing and cat fancy? Yeah, 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 of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's the link between litter and diabetes. <laughs> Though there uh, were no definite definitive numbers, there were uh, rumors that Ellis uh, lifeguards rescues went pear-shaped because of the Heimlich. Dr. James Orlowski tracked the use of the Heimlich maneuver in drownings and discovered that more than 30 cases in which the Heimlich maneuver had been used, uh, produced destructive results from stomach rupture to aspiration pneumonia to death. Ugh, I just can't imagine, like, physically seeing that. Oh, God. I know. Like, a, an unconscious person being given the Heimlich maneuver. Yeah, it just looks like... F- fucking crazy. Zombie rape. Yeah. <laughs> this is exactly what it's called. Thank rape. you. Orlowski says he... He Orlowski said he found no instances where the maneuver saved a near drowning victim. Ellis lifeguards then dropped the maneuver, which was a severe blow to Heimlich. Yeah, well, let's keep our eyes on what matters here. How's Heimlich's <laughs> ego? <laughs> Who cares if it's killing people? My name was out there. Ah, I was first. He looked to his family for support. His son Phil was always there for him. Phil used to sell Heimlich maneuver T-shirts. But now he was on the Cincinnati City Council. Peter, of the band Choke, now lived on the West Coast. Of the band Choke. <laughs> now lived on the West Coast, but he had amassed what is probably the world's largest private archive of Henry Heimlich articles. Heimlich came out of his funk ready to fight. He had other ideas to cure the world of its ills. Oh, God. In 1917, the Austrian psychiatrist Julius Wagner von Jereg proved that a malaria-induced fever would kill syphilis after testing the theory on patients. Okay. 
Malaria therapy soon became the standard treatment for neurosyphilis. Oh, boy. Wagner von Jettig was awarded the Nobel Prize in Medicine. Okay, so what is he going to take? Then the discovery of penicillin in the 1940s rendered malarial therapy obsolete, and it was eventually abandoned as a medical treatment. Now, my worry here is that Heimlich is going to get involved with malaria. Why would you think that? <laughs> because he's in. A, he really wants... He wants more. So why don't you go ahead right now and tell me what he was doing with malaria. One Dr. Heimlich started campaigning to resurrect the practice, not <laughs> as a treatment for neurosyphilis, for... but as a means to fight other diseases. Like? Cancer. Oh. Uh... What? Well. Getting it done. Yeah. He had zero expertise in oncology, yet his idea of treating cancer with malaria therapy was not immediately dismissed. The CDC invited him to Atlanta to dis- discuss it, but refused to supply Heimlich with malaria. Oh, come on. blood. Give me a little bit. Just give me like a pint. Give come me a on, pint give me of a blood. Shot. Give me a shot. Give me a pint of malaria. Shot glass. Pint, just one little bit. Come little on. A little bit of blood. A taste. A little bit. Spoonful? Come on. I'm not walking out here with Pour a little bit in your palm of your hand. I'm not, I'm not walking out here with some blood. Come on. Come on, yo, buddy Heimlich. Come on, buddy. You want to do the Heimlich on Heimlich, you? Heimlich, So he headed out of the country. Sure. Go get that malaria blood. In 1987, he talked doctors at the Mexican National Cancer Institute to begin treating five patients with malaria therapy. Interesting call. Less than a year, four of the patients were dead. All right. So. Pretty good. Heimlich decided that if malaria therapy didn't work on cancer, it would probably cure something else. Sure. In 1990, he published a letter in the New England Journal of Medicine suggesting malaria therapy as a treatment for Lyme disease. Okay. It wasn't long before Lyme disease sufferers, known as Lymies. So if you're an English person with Lyme disease. (laughs) Limey Lymies. Limey Lymies. So they started requesting the treatment because they're suffering and there's no cure. So they'll do anything. Requests came in from all over the world. But the excitement was short-lived. A New Jersey woman who was one of his first Lyme patients denounced Heimlich. Quote, if anybody asked me about Dr. Heimlich and his supposed cure, I would, wouldn't hesitate to tell them to run away as fast as possible. <laughs> the Limes, who were a small knit community, quickly turned against malarial therapy. Yeah. But nothing would stop Heimlich. Take it to the top. By the early 90s, he was touting malaria therapy as a solution to AIDS. Oh, boy. Eminent immunology experts dismissed Heimlich's idea as quite dangerous and I, scientifically I mean, unsound. S- seriously dangerous because... What do you mean? Because it's a blood disease. What, what could go wrong? <laughs> Many things. If you give people with AIDS malaria, I don't see what can possibly go wrong. It hurt. I, think their, I think their blood is, is going to get affected negatively. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. But Heimlich did not need the support of immunology experts. Fuck no, he had faith. All he needed was some cash and a place to try out his idea. Hollywood supplied the money. Oh, God. Prominent members of the entertainment industry, like Amy Irving and Estelle Getty, gave bundles, which allowed Heimlich to establish a malaria therapy clinic for HIV patients in Guangzhou, China. It's always a good sign when you have to go to China to prove... Yeah. That you're right. Yeah, where you've taken your Mexico technology to China. <laughs> you're in a good spot. Uh, there, a team of four Chinese doctors injected at least eight HIV patients with malarial blood. For each patient, the Heimlich Institute provided the doctors with between five and $10,000. 
It's fine, fine, fine trade there. Normal. That doesn't feel like body trafficking. Problems. There's no problems. No problems there. In just selling humans. In 1996, Heimlich went to the International Conference on AIDS in Vancouver and made an amazing announcement. <laughs> I've killed five people. <laughs> I have an announcement. If you put malaria in people with AIDS, they die. I have an announcement. I peaked at the Heimlich maneuver. <laughs> he reported that CD4 counts, which go down as HIV progresses to AIDS. Right. It's like your T cells. Yeah. yeah. So in two of the Chinese HIV patients, the CD4 counts had increased after a course of malaria therapy and that the counts remained high two years later. Okay. But when AIDS experts looked at Heimlich's results, they saw that the test the Chinese doctors had employed to measure CD4 levels was completely unreliable. Great. So good info. The CD4 levels have gone up. What are you counting with? I am using a mirror and pairs. Marbles. <laughs> <laughs> this led Heimlich to having a <coughs> falling out with the Chinese doctors. He then searched for other countries where he could kill people with no cures. Cool. But no one else wanted to get on board with the, on board the Heimlich train. Shocking. So he did the next best thing. He went to a, to a country without telling the government what he was doing and performed his experiments. Perfect. That's always a good sign. Yeah, yeah. That's when you know you're onto something right. Yep, lie. When you're lying to foreign governments. This time it was Ethiopia. Ah, oh, terrible. But now the experiment was a bit different. The Heimlich Institute was collecting CD4 and viral load data on HIV-positive patients who became infected with malaria. I can't believe we're talking about the guy who invented the maneuver. <laughs> he's just like, in my head, he's like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> and here he is going to Ethiopia to fucking just kill people. Because <laughs> he's a fame fuck. Because he just wants he's fame. He's a fame fuck. Yeah, he's a fucking fame hunting cunt. Um, so, uh, so here's the catch. Everything? When someone with HIV came down with malaria, they would withhold treatment for malaria. Sorry, when somebody when he so was instead give, of giving people with HIV malaria, yeah, they were having people who got malaria who had HIV come in, and then they would withhold treatment. Oh Jesus! The Ugh. idea was that not treating the patient for three weeks would give them an extremely high fever that would kill off the virus. It's a good plan. It's not. It's, I can't get over the last fact. But someone was after the good doctor. Someone was out to ruin him. In 2002, a letter was sent to the Office for the Protection of Research Subjects at the University of California at Los Angeles. It accused two UCLA medical researchers of participating in illegal human experiments on HIV patients in China. Quote, these experiments have been, these experiments have been conducted under the direction of Dr. Henry Heimlich, known for the Heimlich Maneuver. The letter was from a Dr. Bob Smith. Mm-hmm. Certainly, certainly not a made-up name. No, that feels real. It was only the beginning. A few months later, editors at more than 40 publications received letters from a David Ayanscu accusing Heimlich of improperly taking credit for inventing a type of esophageal surgery. <laughs> then... Oh, boy. 
In September 2003, the website HeimlichInstitute.com went online. The official website of Henry Heimlich's Institute was HeimlichInstitute.org, but the .com site was dedicated to destroying the doctor. Oh, boy. The site featured... I mean, that's why you just got to get quick to those domain names. (laughs) You got to get on your GoDaddy. (laughs) The site featured a long, angry indictment of Heimlich and accused him of all sorts of medical misconduct. The site's proprietor was listed as Holly Martins, a protagonist in the 1949 film noir The Third Man. The attacks began to exact a toll. UCLA launched an investigation into its researchers' work with Heimlich and ultimately found that one researcher had violated federal laws. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Enquirer, Heimlich's hometown paper, ran a front-page story in which a rival doctor called Heimlich a liar and a thief. One doctor says he invented the Heimlich. (laughs) Okay. Other doctors soon followed suit. Heimlich and his family were traumatized. Quote, it's an incredibly painful and difficult thing for someone to go through in the twilight of his life. Phil Heimlich, the eldest of the doctors for It's true, though. That is so hard. It would be like, like, you know, if you had AIDS and malaria and someone stopped giving you medicine. (laughs) Emotionally. 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 It is the emotional version. It's emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. In 2004, Victoria Wells Wilson, MD, was hired by the Heimlich Institute to conduct conduct a review on malaria therapy. Mm -hmm. Wilson wrote a draft report summarizing her findings. She concluded that the preponderance of evidence indicates that neither malaria or immunotherapy will cure HIV AIDS and recommended that the Institute wait for results of other studies. She was fired the next day. Well, she's an idiot. In 2006, the Red Cross, without explanation, amended its first aid guidelines, reinstituting backslaps as the primary choking what? treatment. They really snuck that under it. And <laughs> First, I've heard of backslaps being the fucking driver of this. And relegated the Heimlich maneuver, or as the Red Cross now calls it. Oh, give it to me. Abdominal thrusts. Ah, fuck you, Heimlich. To a secondary treatment status. Oh, man. Oh, God. No one knows the results of the studies in Ethiopia. He changed. Uh, I do. Yeah, it's probably not. Yeah, I mean, all died. All not good. All died from yeah. AIDS and malaria. He changed the name of malaria therapy to immunotherapy because people were shying away from malaria therapy. What about that name doesn't invite? It's always a good sign when you're a doctor if you have to change the name of what you're doing because it's getting a bad rap. You should just call it AIDS dice rolling. <laughs> Gamble AIDS. He told the reporter <clears throat> that six of the first seven HIV patients in Ethiopia had experienced decreases in their viral loads and that he was eagerly anticipating the results of the 42 other patients. Oh, gosh. Quote, I've been right in just about everything I've done, and when it gets to something like this, I know. Cool. Heimlich, batshit crazy. Yeah. Meanwhile, Heimlich hired a lawyer and an investigator to determine who was behind the attacks on him. He knew he had a long list of enemies. He drew up a short list and gave it to an investigator. It was quickly determined that none of the people on the list were involved. But... The investigator did make some progress. He determined that all the email accounts, fake names, and web hosting services could all be traced back to the same ISP number. Then, in a lucky break, the investigator discovered one of the phone numbers used by Heimlich's nemesis. 
It had also been used in an internet classified ad for a 27-inch television and VCR. Whoa, okay. That's always a sweet combo. The seller was located in Portland, Oregon, and the company he owned was called Global Fabric. The seller identified himself as Pete, also known as Peter Heimlich. What the fuck? What? Peter and his father had become estranged in 2001 over family issues. He felt his father had ignored someone who had a medical issue in the family. Pete then began... Just give him malaria. Put him in a bed. (laughs) Be fine. Pete then began looking into his father's career and concluded he was a complete fraud and dangerously unethical. He and his wife closed their business and spent all their time investigating and trying to ruin his father, Henry Heimlich. Jesus. He now no longer uses the pseudonyms to attack his father. He uses his real name. And he continues the attacks. Classic father versus son. Jesus Christ. In 2014, Heimlich, 94, released his autobiography, Heimlich's Maneuvers. Oh, gosh. At 94, that's the best you could come up with. You've had a long time to mull it. That's good, man. Heimlich's Maneuvers. That's a catchy name. It's to be awesome. called Heimlich My Ass. Yeah. So apparently, according to the book, he saved a lot of lives and <laughs> invented a lot of techniques. How do you feel about Heimlich? Well, I feel uh, I'm shocked. Uh, this is shocking, and I'm shocked. <laughs> However, there has been a recent thing that they do at the Mayo Clinic oh. where they are using diseases like smallpox True. and AIDS, mutated versions of them. But it's not the same thing. To as- fight cancer. No, it's totally not. Yeah, they're they're using the they're disease using a mutated a they're using a mutated version of the disease as like almost like he was just giving he, people he was thinking completely one disease could kill the other by completely just aware of how he was not helpful. Who thinks malaria can kill AIDS? Well, just straight giving it to someone. If it was true, then people would have been already cured. Yeah, and you'd know no, about it. No, you don't. Hey, I got malaria and my yeah. AIDS is gone. No, and I don't even know how you really like. How do you stoke that fire out of nowhere? How are you like? Yeah, malaria. Fuck. That was good. Fuck if I know. All right, Heimlich. You've been All Heimlich. Right. <clears throat> I'm joking. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it. After it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, this same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help. 
with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. 